Good evening, everyone. Uh, please join with me as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that your word is good and true. May you give us ears to hear and hearts ready to respond to what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this year, I received a somewhat unusual invitation. The school I used to work at invited me to their end-of-year Christmas lunch, even though I'd only done a couple of casual days there during the year irregularly. Initially, I responded to the invitation because I remembered how good the food is. And also, the thought of having lunch with some friends excited me too. It was only after this that I had this funny feeling, was I accidentally invited to the Christmas lunch? Had there been a mistake and, the email, uh, sorry, and my email address hadn't been removed from the email all staff list? Will I show up and be greeted by the headmaster saying, this is a bit bold, you resigned two months, uh, 12 months ago, and now you show up for a free feed. Wasn't your farewell adequate last year? I ended up going, and it wasn't as awkward as I thought. The invitation was meant for me. I was meant to be there, except if you ask the groundsman. As I leaved, he remarked, are you John Farnham or something? <laughs> the singer notorious for far too many farewell tours. I'm sure this feeling isn't unique to me. Receiving an invitation, feeling unsure about whether you should go, feeling worried about what others might think, feeling anxious about whether the host even wants you there. In today's parable, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a banquet where people are invited. To this invitation, people could think, do I deserve to be in the kingdom of heaven? Was the invitation meant for me? Will I get my hopes up and be embarrassingly turned away? Can I be sure that my name will be on a seat in the kingdom of heaven? The question is, how do you know you'll be welcome in the kingdom of heaven? We know from the context of the previous parable and verse 1 that Jesus is still speaking to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. We're told immediately before this parable that they understood that Jesus was speaking against them. This parable will show us ways to reject the invitation like the chief priests and Pharisees. But Jesus also wants to teach us how we can know for sure that we'll be welcome in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, if you've got an outline, it might help if you want to follow. Uh, firstly, we'll be looking at the banquet, verses 1 to 7, then the guests, verses 8 to 10, and then lastly, the attire, verses 11 to 14. So let's start with the banquet, verses 1 to 7. What will the kingdom of heaven be like? In verse 2, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven will be like a king who prepares a wedding banquet for his son. It's more than just a banquet. It's a wedding banquet. It's more than just any wedding banquet. It's prepared by the king. And it isn't just prepared for anyone. It's prepared for the king's son. Now, I didn't go to school with any king's sons, but I could imagine this would be a party that you wouldn't want to miss. You'd be a fool not to turn up. In verse 3, we learn that the guests have already been invited. And after all the preparation, the banquet is ready. So, as was custom, the king sent his servant out to call the guests into the wedding feast. But here, the invited guests refuse to come. It, it makes no sense. Even the king knows this. There must be a mistake. So in verse 4, he sends out more servants with a message. Read with me in verse 4. I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fattened calf have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. 
The king is almost wooing the guests in. Look, behold, everything is ready. And it's at the king's expense. The guests don't need to bring anything. They'll be richly provided for. The food will more than satisfy them. Nothing could be better. In verses 8 to 6, the guests respond in two ways. Firstly, with apathy, and then secondly, with hatred. Read with me in verse 5. They paid no attention and went off, one to his field and another to his business. Their excuses make no sense. Working in one's field and business is so minor compared to the feast. Something else to them is just more important. And in verse 6, the rest seized his servants, mistreated them and killed them. This is outrageous. The invitation and the servants had come from the king. So the invited guests demonstrate their hatred towards the king by mistreating and killing the servants. The invited guests clearly didn't know this king very well. Yes, on the one hand, he's gracious and generous, but he's not a powerless pushover. The king, uh, the king was rightly enraged by their actions and sent his soldiers to destroy the murderers and set their, set their city on fire. Uh, this is a picture of how the Pharisees and chief priests and the nation of Israel as a whole has responded to God's invitation into the kingdom of heaven. They are the guests who had received the invitation. God is the generous and gracious king who prepares the banquet and is calling them to enter. The, the initial invitation is the first covenant God made with his people, the law which was meant to lead them towards God's saving work in his son, Jesus. But when Jesus came, they responded both with apathy and hatred towards him. I remember the day I, I realized that I needed glasses. I picked up the pair that my dad used to watch TV and I looked at the clock on the oven. And for the first time, I could tell the time from a distance. Then I looked out the window and to my amazement, trees look all the more impressive when you can tell that they have leaves, not some hazy green something. Don't get me wrong, I knew that there were leaves on trees. I'm short-sighted. I can see things close up, but far away is just a blur. In our short-sightedness, we are distracted by the here and the now. We can become apathetic towards God and his kingdom. If we keep our focus on the here and now, as God calls us to lift our gaze towards him and away from the pleasures and comforts of this world, we can find ourselves despising and even hating God's call. Here we've been confronted with two ways to reject God's invitation into the kingdom of heaven. If people don't see the kingdom and its king properly, they'll respond with apathy or hatred. I've been confronted as I've spent time in this parable. Am I convinced of the goodness, the importance, the privilege of entering the banquet? Do I set my eyes, my vision, my hopes, my aspirations on God and his kingdom? Do I daily desire to be there? What am I willing to give up to enter the kingdom of heaven? Next, we see the guests in verses 8 to 10. The wedding feast is ready and it must be celebrated. The wedding will not be cancelled for some ill-mannered guests. The guests are those who simply show up. Verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. The word used for did not deserve has the sense of not being worthy. Those who reject the invitation were not worthy to come. So the king tells his servant in verses 9 to 10, 
So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. The street corners were the roads that led from the city out into the country where the poor tended to gather. The king is sending his servants to the outcast, the lowly, the rejected, those deemed unworthy by society. These people demonstrated the right response to the king's invitation. With gladness, they willingly leave things behind to enter the banquet. They appreciate the privilege and responsibility to turn up. The Pharisees would have seen this as Jesus welcomed the tax collectors and prostitutes into right relationship with God, something we saw two weeks ago. The invitation is sent far and wide. We are told that the banquet is filled with the bad as well as the good. Why can this be? Why can the kingdom of heaven be filled with the bad? Well, the promise of the gospel is that Jesus will save people from their sins. People are only made worthy to to enter the kingdom of heaven by accepting the forgiveness that Jesus offers. The expectation of the religious leaders might not be too dissimilar from most people that you'd meet today, who think that heaven will be full of good people. And many people classify themselves as good. You see, I haven't been to jail or murdered someone, people might think, or I obey most of the rules. I don't get many speeding fines. You see, we're very good at comparing ourselves to others and thinking that we match up. This thought might be so prevalent that sometimes we find ourselves thinking it too. We're in church after all, aren't we? We deserve to be in the kingdom of heaven. This parable reminds us that no one is too far gone or too far away to enter. Heaven won't be full of good people because no one is worthy in themselves Heaven will be full of sinners who have responded to the invitation, put their trust in Jesus, and shown up. People Jesus had made worthy through his death and resurrection. And lastly, the attire in verses 11 to 14. What does it mean to show up? How does one enter the kingdom of heaven? We enter the kingdom of heaven on God's terms because the kingdom of heaven is all about the Son. Jesus concludes the parable with another warning, another way to reject the king's invitation, another way to not enter the kingdom of heaven, and it's through self-reliance. Verse 11, But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man, who, a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. We don't know if his clothes were obvious to others, but the king noticed straight away. We know that the invitation went to the poor on the street corners, and we know that the banquet is full of the good as well as the bad. You see, the point isn't that this man didn't own the right clothes. It's significant that there's only one. Every other person is dressed correctly. It seems that the king was able to provide appropriate wedding clothes for all the guests. It seems more likely that the man entered thinking his own clothes were good enough. The attention this man might have wanted from the king, he gets for all the wrong reasons. In verse 12, the king addresses him as friend, but when he is asked why he isn't wearing wedding clothes, he is speechless. He has nothing to say, no excuse, no reason, because he knows that he's guilty. Verse 13, then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
The man is removed from the feast. He has rejected the invitation by not wearing the right clothes. So he is thrown out. This doesn't illustrate that some people will get to heaven, but some will be thrown out. Rather, it's a graphic reminder that no one can fool God and enter the kingdom of heaven on their own terms. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is a description of God's final judgment on those not in the kingdom of heaven. If heaven is a wedding banquet uh, that you want to be at, the Bible's picture of hell is anything but that. It's the opposite. From the welcome and provision and blessing of the banquet to the emptiness, loneliness, and isolation of the darkness. From the shouts of joy to the shouts of tears. From knowing God as a generous and gracious host to knowing him as the righteous judge. I was talking to a dad this week who was trying to increase his son's independence by refusing to help him find his hat. The opposite is true for the kingdom of heaven. We need to fight against independence and self-reliance. We must remain dependent on God's grace. The warning here for us is you could be in church every week, but God can see, God can see you for who you are. God sees and God knows our hearts. He knows if you think you've earned your place or if you're convinced that it's all by his grace. This parable shows us the that ultimately the kingdom of heaven isn't about the guests. The kingdom of heaven is about the son. This parable is often called the wedding, the, the parable of the banquet. But then why in verse 2 are we told that the kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepares a wedding banquet for his son? What extra significance do we get that the banquet is prepared by the king for his son? The son is referred to in verse 2, but then not again. But you see, this banquet is for the son. Therefore, everything the king does in this parable is for the son. It's worth noting that in the parable before this, which we didn't look at last week, um, but you can read it in your own time, Jesus explains that he is the son sent into the vineyard who is killed by the religious leaders. And in only a few days, indeed, Jesus will hang on the cross as a criminal at the hands of the very people he's speaking to here. In this parable, the son sits at the head of the table. It's his wedding feast. How is this possible if the son is put to death? You see, because the son will rise from the dead and ascend to be enthroned at the father's right hand. Not even Jesus' death can stop him. The banquet will not be stopped. The kingdom of heaven, it's all about Jesus, God's son. Now, you might expect that this parable would end with the line, for many are chosen, but few show up. That's what we've seen, isn't it? Or, for many are invited, oh, sorry, I misread one word. For many are invited, but few show up. Or, for many are invited, but few are worthy. In verse 3 and 4, we see the slave went out to many, invited many people. And in verse 9, as many as the servants could find are invited. We get that many are invited, but why does Jesus conclude the parable in verse 14? For many are invited, but few are chosen. I found myself going back to the start and seeing if I'd missed something. This is a parable after all. It's, it's meant to be hard work. You see, to respond to the invitation, to come when the king calls, to show up to the banquet, to wear the right clothes, to enter the kingdom of heaven is to be chosen by God. 
This parable sheds light on how people enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, on the human earthly plane, people respond to God's invitation by repenting of their sins and putting their faith in Jesus, by coming to him. But here we're given the spiritual or theological reality. This parable gives us words to explain the deep mysteries of God. You see, many are invited, but few are chosen by God. The mystery of the kingdom of heaven is that written in big, bold letters on the front of the doorway, it reads, come to the wedding banquet. Um, like we prayed before, come to me all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, come. But once you enter the doorway and look back through the one you've just entered, the big, bold letters instead read, many are invited, but you are chosen. This is a mystery. It's a high and lofty thing beyond what our little minds can comprehend. The spiritual reality is, if you've come to Jesus, God chose you first. This parable is meant to confront those who refuse to come to Jesus, who refuse to repent of their sins and believe. If you're someone sitting here today who hasn't responded to God's call to enter the kingdom of heaven, this parable should confront you. What is stopping you from showing up? Is it apathy, hatred of God, or self-reliance? The great comfort for the Christian is that if you have come to God and put your trust in Jesus, you are chosen by God, chosen to enjoy and celebrate in the kingdom of heaven, which is like a wedding banquet prepared by the king to celebrate the wedding of his son, Jesus. If you're someone who is unsure, please ask someone today. I encourage you to get to know this king, you will meet him in his son, Jesus Christ. Behold what he was willing to do for sinners to make them worthy to enter the banquet. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like. Thank you for Jesus who through his death and resurrection makes us worthy to enter. Thank you that the kingdom of heaven is all about your son, Jesus Christ. As we celebrate him this Christmas, may we be prepared to celebrate him for eternity. Father, thank you also that if we come to Jesus, we know that you first chose us. What a comfort this is. May this bring us comfort and joy, not just today, but all of our days, till we're celebrating in the banquet with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.